Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go, and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Drew Schulman. And I'm Marie Vigourou. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 5, Episode 20, The Devil You Know. Let's get this show on the road. Again, I feel like this is just the point of the show where we just quickly go over the title because there's always so many fun title things here. So as soon as it became a Crowley episode, it was like, oh, this makes perfect sense. You know what's interesting about this particular saying? It's something that's been said since like forever. It's related to a, a Latin saying that's nota res mala optima, which means an evil thing known is best. I think in this particular case, it also works really, really well. Like they know Crowley, they know how he operates. And I think this is also like where we're going to get to in, in, in story time. Do you want to give us a recap for this episode? Count me down. Three, two, one, go. Brothers happily in the car, off on another adventure. Surprise, Crowley's there. Surprise, tried to knife him and they miss. Crowley's all like, I gave you the cult. We're friends. The cult didn't work. Uh huh. There was always a chance that would happen, which I called. But he seems to legitimately be on their side. And like Dean weirdly trusts him, which is super weird because Dean just gave Sam shit about trusting demons. Anyways, side note, they go on a crazy mission to go after some dude who runs this medical company who secretly works for the horsemen. And the whole thing was a trap laid by Crowley, but actually was a trap and wasn't a backstab like it seemed it was. And they catch him and it turns out it was like Sam's like college BFF who set him up with Jess, which is like super messed up. And there's a whole revenge plot. Crowley kind of is like on their side, it actually turns out, and they get some information and they kill this dude who kind of totally deserves it time. The only thing you forgot is the Bobby bit at the end, which I'm really surprised that you didn't bring up. This is the second episode in a row to do that weird thing where they kind of gave us like a, not like a teaser for next week, but like literally a cliffhanger like reveal for next week. This is a 22 episode season. We're at episode 20 and they still don't know what they're going to do to quote-unquote, ice the devil. So things are going to, to, to quote Misha Collins, the dominoes are going to start to fall very quickly. <laughs> Speaking of going quickly, shall we hop into a long game? Like you said, Crowley's back. This is the first time that we see him since Abandon All Hope, where Joe and Ellen died. Because like I know Crowley from the rest of the series, I also have like a very specific view of him. But like, what was your initial reaction to seeing him in this episode? I liked Crowley from the get-go as much as I don't trust him because I have learned better from the show. Fair. I like him as a character. I like his arc. I, Despite the fact that he might betray or backstab at some point, right now he is being a friendly character and I like him as part of the group. More than anything, I can't wait to get to an episode where him and Cass are both there because that will be a shit show. I will not say anything about that. Especially given that Crowley, I think, might have a thing for Dean. Not like a romantic thing like Cass does. I can see Cass getting weirdly protective of Dean from Crowley. Oh, we'll talk about Dean and Crowley for sure. Oh, I'm excited. So since giving the brothers the cult, uh, Crowley has not been living his best life. Lucifer's demons burnt down his house and ate his tailor, which I thought was a spectacular line because of just how grotesque it is. But I think it also says a lot about Crowley. Like, from the sounds of it, most people in Crowley's circle have probably been killed at this point. 
but his tailor is the one that hurt the most. We see how he dresses, right? Like, he likes to dress well. He likes the way that he looks. And so, like, his tailor was probably, like, his bestie. Which, I mean, just reeks with, you know, early 2000s queer coding, but still. And now poor Crowley is living in a single pane glass shack with used contraception in the fireplace. I love how specific he has to get with this. It's the fall from grace. Or the fall from hell. I'm not sure how he wants to see it. Definitely a loss of status. I think we can definitely agree on that. He offers this help and he tells the brothers that he can help them get Pestilence's ring. It has all the hallmarks of like, here's the thing you literally need and want. I am literally a magical MacGuffin right here. It's probably a trap. I mean, from this episode standing, it doesn't feel like one. Mm-hmm. I know. We learned a lot about Crowley in, uh, in this episode. So the name of the company, the pharmaceutical company, is Nivius, which means covered in snow. And no one can convince me that it's not some kind of cocaine reference. <laughs> With, like, the pharma bro look. Oh, my God. I love it. You said it. And I'm like, what could that, like... Covered in snow, like what weird historical Greek tragedy are we gonna like d- dip into and be like, oh, it's a reference to Homer when he goes to this ski resort? I don't know. Why else would this be called like something about being covered in snow? Because I feel like also the actor took like a very specific approach to this that was almost like American psycho ish, you know, like it's very influenced by this kind of thing and this kind of culture where, or subculture, I guess, where. Cocaine is very present. Sam voices his idea to jump into the cage while possessed by Lucifer. How do we feel about that? Stupid idea. Stupid idea, huh? I know. Dean puts it so perfectly. You just talked me off a ledge of lending myself to Michael to end all this. And now you're going to do the exact same thing, but even stupider. Well, that's why I'm mentioning it. Because I think like how to get Lucifer back in the cage is going to become a conundrum very quickly. But I don't think letting him use your body and then hoping against hope that you can just magically control him for a minute or two while you walk him into a cage and wait. It doesn't sound feasible, that's for sure. We do get our first Crowley-Dean date. You said first. Everyone knows I'm Dean Cass a bajillion percent. But while they're... On a break, I guess? (laughs) (laughs) They still don't know where Cass is. (laughs) I'm not condoning this date. It was a very fun thing to watch. The CEO of the company is actually a demon who was in college with Sam, and he's the one who introduced him to Jess and the one who killed her. And of course, he was under orders from Azazel, but he's the one who, like, did the dirty work. Let's put it that way. Also, I just want to mention that Brady was in pre-med, and since he introduced Jess to Sam, it supports my theory that Jess was pre-med too. I think we we had the argument last time that the idea of her dressing as a nurse for Halloween seems very not pre-med, but also seems very, how do I write a woman on TV in 2005? It's not realistic, but it's very Kripke, and I stand by that. It's very, like... This era of television of like, I'm in nursing school. I should go as a sexy nurse for Halloween. Crowley calls Sam Moose for the first time. Oh, does that become a recurring thing? Because I love that. It's so apt. Every time I see a moose now, I'm like, Sam? (laughs) Do you know how big a moose is? I've seen a moose live in person in the woods. 
I'm aware. It's huge. <laughs> they are literal dinosaurs. Just like Sam. Hellhounds are back, also for the first time since Abandon All Hope. And we also get our first team dog. Like, we have our first animal companion on the good guys team. Hell yes. This is where I asked for fan art, but I realized the number of blank images I'll get sent now is stupid. I really like how fast and loose you are with good guys here. I really love that. It bodes well for Crowley. <laughs> I'm not expecting him to be a good guy or to stay long term. I'm enjoying the time I get with him. That that is a very good thing to do with every character on Supernatural. Sam finally comes like full circle in terms of avenging Jess's death. And I'm putting all of these in very big air quotes because I have, as you know, and as I've talked about before, I have a lot of big feelings about revenge. Azazel is dead and so is Brady. And so that arc for Sam in terms of the things that he, you know, wanted to do is closed. Doesn't mean that he stops grieving her, right? But like his desire for revenge at this point, it can't go anywhere else. We assumed that revenge was quenched when he got rid of Azazel. And then here is a surprise more revenge. Like, I can't imagine there's many more surprises in this you know, path. Supernatural is full of surprises. But it, when it comes to Jess's death, I don't think that there's going to be more surprises. This was kind of like the last thing that we were all waiting for you to see, frankly. <laughs> and this episode ends with Crowley trying to get Bobby to sell his soul in exchange for the spell that can lead them to the horseman death. Oh, this again reeks so much of don't do it. But at the same time, I can kind of see Bobby doing it kind of as a whole like... As a Hail Mary. Pretty much. Like, even if he doesn't get his soul back and he goes to hell, he's like, well, what do I have left? Like, I'm pretty much done. At least I got to save the world and giving myself up this way. And then again, Crowley might turn around and actually give it back to him and be a good guy. We don't know. I mean, he does say that he, that's what he wants to do, right? We'll see what uh, what happens in Season 5, Episode 21 of Supernatural. Today, our theme is Betrayal. It fits well. I think it fits really well for this particular episode, both on a narrative uh, level, but also on a meta, on a more meta point as well. Obviously, the, the word betrayal comes from the verb betray, uh, which itself comes from the Latin tradere or tradere meaning to hand over. And the noun traitor also comes from this verb. What I find interesting is that in Dante's Divine Comedy, people guilty of betrayal are sent to the lowest, most cruel depths of hell. And according to the poem, Satan himself spends his time torturing history's biggest traitors. This is the part that I find fits really well with the narrative of the episode. Now, just to compare like the Latin definition with our more modern definition, Betrayal can mean like one of a few different things. So like the act of exposing or delivering someone to an enemy through treachery or disloyalty. The act of disappointing a person's trust, hopes, or expectations. The act of revealing information in violation of confidence or a failure to keep or honor a promise or principle. You know, it's really funny. I didn't know that betrayal and traitor had the same root, although now that you've said it, it's incredibly obvious. Trader basically became trahir in French. Traitor, betrayal. No, it's a good little chain there. Is it weird? I love it. Oh, etymology is the best. Do you want to get us started with Sam and betrayal in this episode? 
can I just give the show a small kudos because I was convinced Brady was going to be Meg or Ruby somehow. I was genuinely surprised. I feel almost betrayed, but in a good way by the show because I really thought the whole big like, oh, they have history. That was going to be the big reveal. And then it's just like, nah, this is Brady. He, they have they have they have beef you to know about. Surprise. <laughs> uh, so we have to see both sides of Sam's actions this week. His being betrayed by an old friend who was a demon for the most part. He's angry, but luckily is trying to take Bobby's words to heart all of a sudden, which we as an audience know and Dean doesn't. And this leads him to being a little more thoughtful before action, taking a moment to control his anger. But it almost feels like he's being this like self-controlled in like just to spite Bobby almost to prove him wrong. And like, had we not witnessed this conversation, I'm pretty sure Sam's rage would have ended Brady way too soon. Like, there is no way this Bobby conversation is not the direct reason Brady survives longer than a few seconds. I think that what you're talking about is showing us that Sam, like people in general, but Sam in this particular context, like, is capable of change. And I also think it's meant to show, like, how much change Sam has been going through over the last five years. Like... If this had happened in season one, the episode would have ended very differently. I completely agree with you. So in that sense, yeah, I agree that like his conversation with Bobby helped. But I, I think that this also shows like a deeper transformation than just like one slightly drunken conversation personally. And like we've been talking for the last few episodes about Sam's transformation into someone who is much more self-aware than he was before. And I think that the fact that he can put his feelings of betrayal aside for the time that he does, even if it's, you know, very difficult for him, and stay focused on their immediate goal shows that he's actually doing the opposite of betraying himself, like he's actually staying true to himself. I think that this is something that's been a long time coming. It's almost like more of a, like, TV needing to, like, throw it in our face a little bit. This really is a growing point for Sam. I think you said it really well in staying true to himself in that he's not letting anger take over. He's not going to a pure emotional response. He's thinking things through. He's seeing the bigger picture and being the bigger person. I remember specifically having this conversation about how Sam is like on the ball thinking like strategically doing this, doing that. And like here, even in a moment of like really intense emotional distress, he's able to do that again. And I think that it's showing how much he's growing as a person and as a hunter, because this is something that we had seen Dean do before, but that we had not seen Sam be able to pull off. And here we are. So I'm very proud of my tallest bean. Which I think loops in really well with our next betrayal, which is Sam's betrayal of Dean in locking him in the bathroom uh, to attempt to go after Brady himself, which again, ultimately, he's able to, despite clearly thinking this through i mean he, like, he waited for dean to go to the bathroom to trap him he had the chair he knew what he was doing this wasn't a like impulsive thing this was a thought out version of this to go after brady who was clearly goading him into like taking his life because he knows at this point he's basically a lost cause and the more chaos he could sow the better he's able to again live his true self think things through be the bigger person and ultimately not go through with it and while he does get his revenge later which is good for him because brady freaking deserved it but luckily good boy sammy is able to hold himself in check and think things through and not act on pure rage and instinct and we'll have to go back to dean later and see how dean responds to the whole situation because i feel like his reaction to being betrayed by sam is also a very important point of this episode 
as I'm listening to this, I'm sort of thinking about the limits of betrayal. And what I mean by that is like, when does like disappointment or trickery, let's say, becomes betrayal? Like, what does betrayal look like at the margins? I don't think that I would have ever thought to describe Sam locking Dean in the bathroom or out of the room. I can't really remember exactly how it happens, like as betrayal. Like I, I might have considered it betrayal if Sam had killed Brady while he locked Dean out of the room. But like whether Sam never intended to kill him so soon or he held himself back at the last second, like he didn't cross that line. So again, I think that like he stayed true to himself and to Dean in that really heated and, and intense moment. Because like when I when I think about Sam and betrayal in this episode, I think more about like what Brady, Lucifer, and Azazel and also Ruby have put him through. And that like the coming to light of all this is what brings up these intense feelings of betrayal for him. Uh, I think betrayal is something you feel. It's an emotion you feel. It's kind of like anger. It's it's you're allowed to feel it. It's how you respond to it. And I think somebody going around and doing a thing that I've we've explicitly discussed them not doing, even if at the last moment they go, you know what? I, I, I've had a, a change of heart. I'm not going to do it. There is still that like hurt. And like I said, we'll talk about Dean a little bit more, but I think also there is an equal part of that too. When Dean realizes that Sam had this opportunity to betray him, had thought this through and then came to his senses and realized what he had to do. And I think Dean being betrayed and then getting like, a, like seeing Sam take the second chance is also very big. And I think that's why I'm like complicating it a little bit because I'm like, okay, but like, was this betrayal? Did Dean feel betrayed? If, let's say, I don't know that you've betrayed me. Am I feeling betrayed? No, but you have still betrayed me. I think that's the same thing. Like if I went behind your back and lied about something and it gets back to you eventually, like you don't know about it until it gets to you. In this case, it's almost the reverse. It's Dean is under the assumption that he's actively being betrayed by Sam because Sam has locked him in a bathroom and explicitly in a house alone with a man that he, Sam wants to kill, that he's been told you can't kill. Then there's the, like, the reverse of it when he goes back and he goes, oh, like, okay, you've let me out. What did you do? Like, how screwed are we? And then Sam can go, no, I realized I was wrong to do what I was doing. I'm sorry I locked you in the bathroom. Like, you're right. Let's, get, let's be smart about this. I just find it a really big word for this. Like, I find that it, betrayal is, like, a big thing. And that's why I'm asking, right? Maybe some people will will say, yes, it was absolutely a betrayal. And I think that you're kind of there, which is totally fine. But I just, I don't know if I think it's it's truly a betrayal per se. Imagine the same scene where Dean goes to the bathroom, Sam grabs the chair, goes to put it under the door, and then stops partway through, puts the chair down and walks away. So we as an audience get to see, oh, you were going to do it. And then you thought better of it versus the version we got where he actually does and then has the realization later. He still doesn't do it. But also Dean never knows about it. But he still grabbed the chair. So like, is that still not like a layer of of betrayal then? It's not a feeling like you can be betrayed. It's an action. But the feeling of being betrayed requires someone to actually take action against you. The feeling of being betrayed and the action of betraying somebody are not mutually exclusive. And they don't need to happen together either. Right. So like, I think that that's that's the part that I find really interesting in this particular case about betrayal. Do you want to get us started about Dean? Dean is really the target of most of this episode's uh, betrayals, if we can put it that way. 
Sam, as we already discussed, but more uh, more dead, deadly and a little more rough is Crowley's betrayal of him this week. First, we have what Sam did, obviously, which we already went over. But what I think is so impressive is the way that Dean handles it. So I think he's relatively understanding and open. But what I think it means for Dean, though, is like he is matured enough to understand that Sam has had to go through a process and not jump to his own conclusions of like, oh, Sam, you screwed up. It's okay. You had a lapse in judgment. You did something stupid. You stopped yourself before it got too far. And now we're both good. Right. It's not the like, you always do this. You never listen. It's not It's not the blame game immediately. It's like, okay, I get it. Like they're equals again. Like that equality is starting to, to set in. It's Dean showing empathy and understanding. I mean, he's very empathetic. <laughs> We're going to get hate mail. <laughs> Especially with Sam, and maybe it's the little brother complex of just like, always going very quick to the like, argumentative brother state of like, I'm the older brother, I know better, I'm right, you're wrong. Even when Sam is usually the one who's right in a lot of these cases. But he doesn't do that here. He doesn't blow it out of proportion. He just goes, yeah, I get what you did. And I'm glad you didn't. I'm not entirely certain that he feels betrayed by this. That's that, And that's that's the honestly the only reason why I put it there. Yeah, we can obviously jump into the more uh, evident uh, cases of betrayal against uh, Dean, which is Crowley. Which is less surprising given, you know, he's a demon and kind of a jerk, but I love him. The way he treats Dean as bait feels very John-like, which I think opens up an entire bag of worms that I, I don't know how much I can get into, especially given that I think Crowley has a tiny crush on Dean, which makes it even more complicated. But I think this can easily become like a daddy issue trope, and I don't know how much I want that to happen or not. Dean is weirdly understanding of this too. Like he gets, he it's almost like he understands the ends justify the means. And I feel like Dean normally would be a little more pissed about this, but he's like so okay with it. And I think he also is feeling a bit guilty for his past actions, specifically running away to try and see Michael, and feels like he kind of deserves this mistreatment. You opened like such a whole new world for me when you said that like Crowley and Dean's dynamic, how they're John-like, and like honestly, my mind is blown. <laughs> I think what I would ask myself in this situation, like, is what Crowley does really betrayal here? This is where like Again, we're trying to separate or or not separate, maybe, like that feeling of being betrayed and the action of betraying. I fully agree with you that Dean felt betrayed when Crowley left him the first time at the, pharma, uh, the pharmaceutical company and the second time when the hellhounds show up, particularly when the hellhounds show up, because we know Dean's relationship with the hellhounds and we know how much they scare him because of his past trauma. But Crowley comes back both times. And both times we understand through his actions that he never intended to actually like leave Dean to fend for himself. He just wanted to screw with him by making him think that he was going to leave him. <laughs> so again, like I'm wondering if that's betrayal or if that's actually coming through for Dean and staying true to him by coming back. It differs both times. because I think the first time with the pharmaceutical company, it's very much a betrayal of trust. They had a plan, and it turns out Crowley had his own plan underneath the fake plan. And yes, the fun part is that Dean gets beat up and he enjoys this. But ultimately, it works to his advantage. Everything's successful. And Dean, again, is upset, but oddly understanding of it. 
And then the next time with the Hellhounds, it never feels like a betrayal. It feels like a, a, a sense of betrayal because he is abandoning them again. But there was never an explicit like, oh, this was my plan all along to get a hellhound to come kill you. Ha ha ha. And then to come back and go, surprise, I'm actually on your side again. It, I think it just more feels like it, it, it just it, from Dean's perspective, I can see it being one traumatic having a hellhound there. And then two, the only person who seems to be able to handle anything right now going by disappear. Also, just going to put it out there, him coming back with a hellhound to save Dean. So we now have a hellhound who has actively saved Dean from being attacked by a hellhound. I think just sort of like wraps up Crowley and Dean's relationship in a nutshell as a metaphor. <laughs> Second boy. <laughs> Much different meaning when you say it that way. Uh-huh. Moving on. I have this in my notes for a little bit later, but I think that you're coming to a, like you're, you're kind of bringing us to a point that I think it needs to be said that I think a part of betrayal that's really important is the lack of transparency or like how information is not distributed evenly. You know, when you said they had a plan and then it changed, but Crowley always had more information. I absolutely think that that is a feature of betrayal. But this also, I think, kind of leads into why I feel like betrayal has so much to do with the person uh, to a person's response to it. Like, I can imagine a reverse scenario where you you are betrayed by someone, but you were already so clearly expecting because you have such a lack of trust in them that when it does happen, while it is functionally they betrayed you, you're not, like, caught off guard or surprised on an emotional level of response. You're like, I kind of had this baked into my thought process the whole time. Well, so again, if we can go back very briefly to the definition of betrayal, it talks about expectations. If the expectation is that you're going to work against me, then is that really a betrayal? Or is that just like you doing what you're expected to do? The betrayal comes in when we're supposed to be working towards something specific and then somebody else either doesn't do something and doesn't tell like there's a lack of communication that's really needed for a betrayal to occur in my opinion and i think i also see dean's relationship with betrayal in this episode in this episode like it's just a little bit differently because like i think or like maybe just a different perspective of it because i think that seeing crowley come back and come through is also making him realize like all the times that other people didn't come back and didn't come through for him and I think that this is an interesting thing about betrayal. When you find yourself in a similar situation than one in which you were betrayed before and the person or the demon, in this case, doesn't betray you, it makes that time that you were betrayed even more painful. And I think that with what you brought up before about John, this is just absolutely devastating. On the surface, like even from my initial viewing of the episode up until like just this conversation, it felt like the betrayals were so much more integral and it seems like almost the lack of betrayal or the perception of betrayal and the further understanding that comes with it is more prevalent in this episode. Honestly, this felt, this really felt like one big setup for Dean to take a trust fall into Crowley's arms. I see that. <laughs> I, 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 I very much see that. Speaking of which, do you want to get us started with Crowley? Yes, so we get to enjoy more time with Crowley. 
Uh, great, another demon I am enjoying as a character who is going to convince me that they're truly on our side, only to betray me at the 11th hour. I'm ready for it, so I won't feel betrayed when it happens. <laughs> he is kind of a perfect mix of smarmy asshole, but lovable. Like, I don't know what it is where it's like every scene, I'm just like, I, I understand wanting to hit him, but I'm like, you lovable scamp. <laughs> Like, even when he does actually, like, screw with Dean uh, at the offices and lets him get beat up by Brady, you know, he may not show empathy for Dean's actions, but appreciation for his part in all of it. And even the way he goes after Brady almost kind of feels a little bit more like, I didn't have to hit him that hard or really do that much damage to him. But, like, it's normal that a demon who would just slit throats of some innocent humans would not be uh, remorseful for his acts. So as much as we should expect nothing, he did give us something. You know, there's some level of, like, humanity to him, unlike other demons, at least. Yeah, I, I think that when we're having this conversation, it's really important to remember that Crowley is a crossroads demon. So making deals is kind of his thing. So if betrayal is keeping your word with somebody or like keeping up with their expectations, then what does that say about Crowley that his like entire brand, so to speak, is all about keeping his word? It, it's almost like he can run rampant with it because he's art deals he's making. So he's allowed to lie. And he's like, this is a nice change of pace. He's working with the Winchesters to block Lucifer's plans, which most demons are seeing as betrayal to them, even though really he's trying to save demon kind from Lucifer. Like I was mentioning earlier, I think that this is another feature of betrayal, like the uneven distribution of, un of information. Because what might feel like a betrayal may not actually be one when you have all the information, and very vice versa also. Literally, it, it takes both sides, it goes both directions. In this case, you know, the demons don't have all the information, and so like they think that Crowley's betraying him, but in fact, he's actually staying true to them. In Sam's case, where he thought that Brady was staying true to him, but then it turns out that all this time, Brady, quote unquote, because we know it's not really Brady, had been betraying him. The amount of information you have about a situation will greatly change the way that you see whether or not betrayal has occurred. It is so perspective-driven and information-driven. Information is very important in this case. So my big issue now is given the two-faced nature of Crowley this week, which again, I think from our conversation we've kind of dabbled in is more playful and less actual betrayal, but ultimately kind of this, he's always surprising us. What's going to happen to Bobby's soul? Like Bobby needs a break and Crowley needs to earn a few brownie points after what he's done to Dean. Even if they got the info and took out Brady, thanks to him, like there still needs to be some little bit of like, redemption to Crowley like he's fun we've enjoyed him he's been good so far while being a bit shady yeah I, I like this has perfectly left me at a point now where like I don't know which way to go with him and Bobby I mean this is a really good point I think because like why did he go see Bobby why couldn't he just make the deal deal with like Sam or Dean like I think I think to me those are are like important questions with regards to that I'll be very honest I did not think of those and now I am haunted by them who was behind this episode? Because damn, did they do good. Oh, it is clearly my beloved Ben Edlund. And the episode was directed by Robert Singer. Mm, love that combo. What do we have in the Hunter's Journal this week? I don't often take anonymous tips when it comes to hunts. I don't take them for anything, really. 
Actually, I don't get many. This entire thing is weird, but for some reason, my gut said go with it. And they were right. A bunch of kids, really not as scary as a demon worshipping cult could be. Some of the texts and rituals they had, uh, pretty seriously dark and old stuff. As I collected anything and everything that could lead to trouble or be used, I began to wonder, who ratted these punks out? None of them seemed like they were the cold feet and rebellious type. Maybe a nosy neighbor? Thanks. I jolted around so fast I nearly snapped my own neck. A massive demon appeared in a once empty living room. Not your typical meat suit type either. The thing was, you know, not Gandalf off a bridge to his doom style demon. He was seated on the couch and looking surprisingly comfortable. Very glad you got my message. And you're so quick. I was startled a bit. Stunned even. Not even reaching for a weapon or anything, just like actually dumbfounded. The last thing I need was to be the pet of some dumb mortals like them again. Those last worshippers were dreadful and had me doing the most boring and menial tasks. I tried to open my mouth to speak, but nothing came out. Anyways, I owe you one. Don't know how I'll repay you yet, but I will. I may be a demon, but I'm a demon of honor. My word is true. The demon stood up from the sofa, fluffed his pillow, looked back at me and bowed before dissolving into black smoke and vanishing. Yeah, I think I'm done taking anonymous tips. Crowley! <laughs> I love the like juxtaposition of like a demon who enjoys the human things in life. And, like, is comfortable being on our re in this realm. I know I suspect Crowley will betray us. Because that's what I've been led to believe. But I truly, deep down, hope he does truly be good. We'll see. Any thoughts to share with us this week? The first thing that I noticed in this episode was in the then segment of the show. When Crowley was saying that Lucifer wants to exterminate humankind. Not mankind. Humankind. And like, I, I just, I have to say it, I stan an antagonist who uses inclusive language. <laughs> yes. And like, I know I'm saying this like unseriously, but seriously, I, I just love the way that Crowley is written. If you remember the very first time he was introduced, he was kissing a homophobic banker who was making a deal for more money or whatever. And like in this one, he's out there again using sex as a weapon. Uh, he's telling Lucifer's demons that he and Brady are lovers in leagues against Satan. Like if we remember the Divine Comedy, uh, the devil himself tortures traitors in that very special circle of hell reserved for them. And that's basically what they're saying, that Lucifer will torture both him and his lover in league against Lucifer, because that's the ultimate betrayal, right? Sleeping with the enemy, quite literally in this case. Obviously, big kudos to my beloved Ben Edlund for this. I think it's all really great. It is, and thank you for taking the time to bring it to everyone's attention, because I think it's such an easy thing to overlook, is those little moments of, like, inclusivity and in language, and just, like, it's so important to realize the choice of words and also i now need you know those like really cheesy like logos you would see on shirts when you were in high school for like you know like mothers against drugs or like whatever those stupid slogans were on all those shirts i now need a lovers and leagues against satan shirt <laughs> in that style okay well that could be your next merch if you, your next piece of merch if you want <laughs> 
In the meantime, let's go listen to what our community has to say. This week, we have a message from Naomi, but before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail. To respond to anything we discussed today, you can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. We also want to remind you that Drew and I are going to be answering the question, why did Crowley go see Bobby to make the deal and not Sam or Dean, for our Roadhouse patrons and coffee supporters on our Impala Talk. Hi, Mary and Drew. It's Naomi, and I would love your input on something. Um, It's to do with the monster at the end of this book. And it's the reason why I cannot rewatch it when I do my rewatch. It just gives me the ick and I can't get past it. So it's surrounding Lilith. um, And as we know, Lilith in the show has been portrayed as a very childlike character. She likes candy and chocolate and she possesses children And when she possessed Ruby in season three, there was a line where she said, I like this body. It's all grown up and pretty. And before I get to the point that that I want to get to, I know you can say that she's a demon. She's thousands of years old. She's still portrayed in a childlike manner. And it's why I get the ick when the writers have hypersexualized her to the point where a deal with Sam would mean they sleep together. It just gives me the ick and I would really love your input as to how you feel about it. And maybe you can change my mind. I don't know. Um, anyway, that that's what this message is about. I hope you guys are having a lovely day or night whenever you hear this. And um, I really love the podcast and I will catch you around. Carry on. The ick is understood, and the ick was not incredibly apparent in my mind till now, and now it's all I can see, and ugh. Naomi, first of all, thank you for bringing this to my attention, to our attention. For me, it was not an immediately obvious thing. It wasn't a connection I drew, but obviously people are making that connection. This feels like a having your cake and eating it too. There's always trying to this whole, like, sexualize demons and, like, tempt people, which is very much how Sam has interacted with demons at around this time. I mean... Meg was very much a, it's a hot girl, let me go talk to her. And Ruby was very much a sexual relationship with manipulation. It would make sense that if they were continuing this trend, they would need to make Lilith a sexual character to Sam. Which is why they remove the child aspect when this happens. Which I think is more a problem with the show's writing, because it makes Lilith a character she's not. Like, we have Lilith... And then suddenly this episode's like, oh, but now she's this Lilith. Like, it makes no sense. So it feels very much like they wanted two different things and just melded the character because they kind of saw her as, you know, disposable because, well, she's a woman on Supernatural and that's how most of this team works with them, unfortunately. But all this to say, it doesn't undo what they did. It just rationalizes why it may have happened as poor writing. But the end result is still very gross. And now that I see it, I can't unsee it. Yeah, Naomi, thank you for 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 bringing this up because I think I remember talking about not loving the fact that like they were going to or alluding to Lilith uh, having sex with Sam while possessing the body of somebody who was very much alive. Like that that already gave me the ick to begin with. And then with that added layer, I think that, I mean, you know, there you go. So I'm definitely not going to try to argue 
against it, against your ick, because I think that that's a totally normal uh, feeling to have. I will say this. I think that perhaps if I have to think about this narratively, I would say maybe that's the point to a certain degree that like to kind of ask ourselves like how how badly does Sam want to like get to his goals in season four that he's willing to do this and again like why is it always the like why does Sam always have to have any kind of sexual contact with demons I, I'm not entirely sure you know but I, I think that I think maybe that's one way to think about it that kind of gives that gives at least a raison d'être for the ick to be present that like the fact that you're feeling icked maybe is is like the goal of this whole thing I don't know many people who watch that scene and are like oh yeah this is really hot like you know what I mean like this is just an awkward scene to begin with and so like the more you think about it the more awkward it gets and so I I think that us feeling icked watching it is a is a quote-unquote good thing here yeah that's that's the response we should be feeling from this. On that note, shall we head over uh, to reflect a bit on this week's episode? Yeah, for sure. I think that like through this discussion that we had, I realized like how much of betrayal actually hinges upon like dishonesty or at least like lack of transparency. I feel called to be transparent about my own motives and to put this into practice or to like explain what I mean by that is that this actually has to do uh, with my research and like why I do the kind of research that I do. I've been dodging that question from myself and others for some time now. And I just think that it's time for me to start really looking into that and interrogating that because otherwise I risk betraying not only myself, but the, the population that I'm studying. So I think that it's it's maybe time for me to to be more transparent about all this. What about you, Drew? Um, while I've never had to face things like Sam did this week, uh, it's easy to find yourself in a position where you are given the opportunity to act cruelly towards someone you dislike or have wronged you. You know, it's easy just to be a bit snarky or mean to someone who likely doesn't really deserve it or heck, even if they do, it's only going to make things worse. Sometimes it's important to be the bigger person, and I know there's been times where I have not taken the high road and I later regret it. So this is just a reminder to myself that when I do encounter those rare situations where someone really just doesn't mesh well and causes trouble, th there's a right amount of action to take versus the ones that are purely self-serving and malicious. And maybe those aren't the right things to be doing. Thank you for sharing that. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Drew Schulman and myself, Marie Vigour. Thank you to our Bunker patrons, Katira, Elle, and Jeremiah Thomas for their generous support. This week, we'd like to thank Naomi for their message. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Hive, TikTok, and YouTube using at Carrying Wayward. And leave us a rating and review on your podcast service of choice. And don't forget to join our coffee or Patreon for perks and extra content. You can use the link in all of our social media bios or go directly to carryingwayward.com. Carry on our wayward friends. Mwah, mwah. Okay, Drew. <laughs>